Hi there, welcome along to High Performance, our gift to you for free every single week. This is the podcast that turns the lived experiences of the planet's highest performers into your life lessons. So allow the greatest leaders, thinkers, sports stars, entertainers and entrepreneurs to be your teacher. Now before we give you a small little snippet of what to expect from our guest this week, I just want to talk to you very briefly um, about Ukraine. So 20 million people almost have downloaded the High Performance Podcast and um, the platform that we use means we can see where people are downloading our podcast. And since we launched, thousands of people in Ukraine have downloaded and listened to this podcast. And I spent a month there in 2012 and the people were amazing. The cities were stunning. The country was incredible. And you know why thousands of Ukrainians have spent the last couple of years listening to this podcast? It's because they're just like you. They're people with ambitions. They're people who want a bright future. They're people who want to better themselves. They're people with dreams. And all of those dreams and all of those ambitions and all of the, the desires for the future are being destroyed by the war that they're undergoing at the moment. And look, it's a token gesture to say that this podcast is dedicated to the wonderful people of Ukraine, but it just feels like we couldn't start this episode without a mention of those people in that country. Um, and our thoughts and our prayers and our best wishes um, and our support is with them. Anyway, on with today's episode. This is what's in store on today's High Performance Podcast. I never wanted him to pay for me to come into Formula One. That was like one goal, you know. He could support me until Formula One, um, or let's say until Formula Two, to get to that point, um, give me those opportunities and so on. But um, I, like personally, as a feeling, I wouldn't want to come into Formula One having to pay for it. The one thing is that my mum and dad have done very well, I would say, is is keep me grounded and kind of realise or live the life, let's say, as normally as possible, not get carried away in any way. You know, I can say I'm privileged, but not in the way that I get whatever I want and um, I get nice cars from my dad and all of this stuff. You know, there's many things which my dad has given to me and I say invested in me, but it's the investment, not a not a given. Well, I think like one thing I've not really mentioned as much, or I mentioned a little bit earlier, was the one thing for me that motivates me more than anything is is enjoyment and, and just fun. Fun and enjoyment. Like if I'm enjoying something, it makes me work harder and makes me want it more. And then it's that a positive spiral of if I work harder, I reward myself more, I enjoy it more and I work harder and it's just, you know, you keep going up. So this is a really interesting episode then. I remember uh, meeting Lando um, before he started in Formula One and there was always this feeling that he was a guy who was in Formula One because he came from money. And once again, we come to the conversation about suspending your opinion and having some empathy. And this conversation will help to build your empathy for Lando Norris. He will talk about the fact that he didn't want to be paid to drive for McLaren. He will talk about the fact that it was really important for him that he got his job in Formula One on merit, not on money. He'll talk about his upbringing and the power of an affluent upbringing and how great it was for him. And we shouldn't always frown or disregard the achievements of people who come from money because those people have still had to show incredible determination and discipline and strength and resilience to get to where they got to. You don't race in Formula One unless you are an amazing talent. But we will also talk about what Lando's learned along the way. We'll discuss when he first came into the team and he decided to get involved in just helping out in the garage. And I can tell you now, he turned up and he shook hands with every one of the crew. He hung around and we chatted about the car for 20 minutes afterwards. He's got a brilliant sense of humour. And um, I often 
when I interview people, I think, I wonder whether I'd like my son or daughter to be like you in years to come. And I tell you now, if my son grows up to be the kind of guy that Lando Norris is, I will be very happy indeed. It was a really interesting conversation. There are things that Lando talks about that you've never heard him discuss before. So welcome to a, a brilliant episode of the High Performance Podcast. Don't forget, you can also hear conversations with Toto Wolf on episode 51 and Christian Horner on episode 58. But today, it's McLaren's Lando Norris, and it comes next. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1, only from Rust-Oleum. This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Well, Lando, thank you very much for joining us. My pleasure. No worries. In your mind, what is high performance? High performance is performing at the very best level of yourself your abilities um and uh, i reckon it's as simple as that the best of your own abilities because high performance is different for everyone of course high performance within formula one is a little bit more complicated but it's still the edge of technology you know always pushing the boundaries always trying to find improvements so um maybe more in that direction high performance is trying to push the boundaries always trying to find better of yourself so that leads us on to to asking how you know what your best is we yeah. get a lot of people that listen to this podcast and they get in touch and they say how do i know i'm working to the top of my abilities or to the, the very best that i can yeah. have you got ways of judging whether you are giving all you can or all you should uh i do but uh isn't necessarily myself you know i've been with like my manager and trainer for the last 11 12 years almost 10 years so they almost know me better than I know myself in some aspects and um, as yourself it's easy to get like caught up in a loop you know and kind of get complacent with some things so um, they're always there to give me a little kick when I need it and um, keep me grounded all these kind of things but uh, yeah for me they're like the most important thing but as you get older I think you realize more and more what I've realized more and more for myself what works for me what doesn't you know what kind of keeps me motivated what keeps me wanting to work hard because um, uh, it's easy to 
just kind of you know miss a training session miss this miss that and um you kind of realize the consequences that has quite quickly so uh yeah the, but the people around me are the most important thing for me so can i take you back you said there that, you, that as you get older you come to realize that yeah. can i take you back the other way to sure. when you were younger and just ask a little bit about your background yeah i mean on the podcast series we interview people from a wide range of backgrounds but your dad was a successful businessman yep. you grew up surrounded by privilege and yep. wealth you went to millfield school for example what benefits did you think that growing up in that kind of environment taught you it's tricky because there's there's obviously so many nice things which which obviously come with that yeah and i'm you know lucky and thankful to be in the position that i've been in with my dad doing so well and so on and that's led on to me having and being given many good opportunities you know to always be with a good team to have a manager and a trainer since i was 12 13 years old the one thing is that my mum and dad have done very well i would say is is keep me grounded and kind of realize or live the life let's say as normally as possible not get carried away in any way you know i can say i'm privileged but not in the way that i get whatever i want and yeah um I get nice cars from my dad and all of this stuff you know there's many things which my dad has given to me and i say invested in me but it's the investment not a not a given and um then i need to pay back that investment and reward him and you know use what he's given me to show it's all been useful and not a not a waste of time you know i think um, just the parent my parents have been very good at keeping me in that that state and did it apply a bit of a pressure to you because you know, you weren't able to say, well, I didn't have a great car, I didn't have a manager, yeah. I didn't get everything. You know, you had everything yes. that you needed. Yeah, yeah. Therefore, there was only one determining factor, right? Me. Which is you. <laughs> Maybe that's the perfect upbringing for Formula One. But yeah. I, I wonder how that sat with you when you're 12, 13 years old. And um, I mean, I, yeah. I mean, I have lived with, like, lived with the, the comments you get from other people. Um I guess already at a young age, maybe just don't see it and realise it as much, how much people talk and social media then takes over that side of it. But uh, um, Were you judged even then, do you think, going to the races? Uh, of course, yeah. Because uh, we, like, we used to have a motorhome and yeah. um, we used to already be with the good teams and stuff like that. So since you you pretty much start already, you have the judgement of this guy's got all the best stuff and they don't and, and stuff like that. But um, there are many people that also have other things which are just as good and so on and there are many circumstances when it doesn't come down to do you have a better engine do you have a better chassis do you have better people you work with you know a lot of it does come down to you in the end so uh yeah so one of our previous guests came from a similar background yeah uh, the boxing promoter eddie hearn mm -hmm. and he spoke about how the shadow that his father had cast as a successful businessman had sort of fueled him to want to try and be better than him yeah did you ever feel that your dad's success has cast a shadow that drives you today? I mean, I wouldn't say like I want to be better than my dad because we live like a very, I guess, a very different profession and live a different life. But um, many things which want to make me um, not get the comments of I'm in the position of where I am because of him, right? I think like between my dad and I, like we never wanted, I never wanted him to pay for me to come into Formula One. That was like one goal, you know. He could support me until Formula One, um, or let's say until Formula Two, to get to that point, um, give me those opportunities and so on. But um, I, like personally, as a feeling, I wouldn't want to come into Formula One having to pay for it and be. Although it's kind of just a bit of a mentality thing, not have the mentality of I'm um, I'm not here because I don't deserve it. I'm here because I've paid for it, and I, I never really wanted that at all. And um, 
I feel much prouder to say that I'm here because uh, McLaren brought me on and I was McLaren junior driver, they brought me on, I got better and then I was the, the official driver. So like it makes me much happier saying that than, than the opposite one. But uh, yeah, like I have to know that to a certain extent, I'm lucky for the opportunities that I got. And um, the fact he could just support me until Formula 2 was already a lot more than, than what people get. So uh, I also know that on the, the flip side. I think sometimes we're guilty, right, in, in this world of taking the values of someone who's had a struggle as being more valuable than someone who has yeah, had a privileged upbringing. Right? And I think we have to be so careful with that because you could have had all the great facilities and the managers yeah. and all the guidance and all the help in the world, right? Without hard work and yeah. dedication and determination and sacrifice from you, there's no way we're sitting here having this conversation, is there? Uh, definitely not. Definitely not. Um, I mean, because like when I started, I wasn't... I had a bit of a natural talent for it, but I wasn't amazing. It's not like I started and won everything. And was that hard? No, I wouldn't say it was hard. I think I, I learned a lot. And of course, and I had you know, good people around me to tell me how to do better. And I had to put in the effort to become a better driver. It wasn't like it just came completely naturally to me. Um, definitely certain elements were natural. And I think if you want to be one of the best, you've got to have some knack for it where you can just jump in and, and be pretty good. But then, especially to be in Formula One, you've got to... It's that next level, you know, what brings you those final hundreds and that final tenth and stuff. Um, and there are hundreds of thousands of people who can drive a car well, you know, and you probably could jump in a car and do a pretty good job straight away. But then it's that, those final few little little things. Um, and that isn't all down to who has the most money and those kind of things. A lot of that is down to um, working with the people around you. A bit of it is just experience, you know, the more kind of testing you get to do and so on, the better. But um, I still drove alongside teammates and had people I was practicing with every week and stuff like that who um, aren't in the position I am now. So there's no excuse why like that's just suddenly helped me a lot more than them. That, that final bit is down to the d determination of, of the driver, how much effort he's willing to put in, the sacrifices he wants to make from such a young age. What were um, they? The, I guess like the social life of school is probably the initial one. Um, and you probably don't really realize that until you're a bit more mature and you kind of hit 20 or I'll say more like 18 I would say when you think like don't really have any friends from school and um, from growing up like all of my friends are now from just from racing um, from karting and, and so on um, and very few you know every now and then I maybe get a message from some of my, my mates from school but it's not like we're best mates anymore it's just like we knew each other and, and that was all so um, yeah I kind of like missed that side of it I didn't know like I guess I miss what I don't know about life from living up, you know, and going to uni and going out every night, all those kind of things. That's the, the life I didn't live, but um, I could never change that for what I've got now. What were the kind of values then that your parents were instilling in you at that young age that you think you still hold true to today? Just uh, like etiquette and being polite, I guess, like your interactions with other people, you know, never thinking that I'm... Um, better or more deserved than than anyone else that i work right. with um and i think that shows in like a lot of what i do now in formula one i think personally um like i don't just turn up for formula one and just like i get paid and go home you know i love 
everything that goes into it working here in, in MTC with the mechanics uh, some nights you know staying late I do the tours I go and see everyone I did some of my work experience here and just kind of getting to know everyone before I was the driver race driver for McLaren then I would stay with the mechanics I would pack up the garage and take the car apart after the races and stuff um, like that I just love you was know, that I your love. choice or was that no, that's expected my choice. of you no 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 definitely not expected the other I would say what is expected is the opposite side you know it's just seeing the Formula 1 driver rock up in all the fancy clothes um, do the work and then jet off home and um, so what did it do for you then why, what did it, why make that choice like that's my that's what I enjoy that's just what I like um, and did you understand at that point the value in that as well uh, I would say so I mean I was what seven, uh, 17 18 so I knew like the values of of people and how much of a difference that can make how much if I help them how much they can help me and just the uh, the improvements you can get from doing that. All of that was just for my enjoyment and stuff I was interested in. And at the same time, there was just an, an added bonus from that. And that was that I got to spend time with them and they liked it and they liked the help. I love that. That reminds us of um, one of our earlier interviews we did with Ole Gunnar Solskjaer when he was manager of Manchester United. Yeah. And he told us about one of their selection criteria was the guy, they would often notice who were the guys that went and collected the bibs and the cones yeah. and the balls after training because that told them something about yeah, they, their values of being yeah. a team player that they wanted yeah. to have and, in their world. And I would recommend Rick Lewis, a businessman. He shared his 12 guiding principles of business and one of them was everyone puts the bins out. Yeah. <laughs> uh, what's the, what's the New Zealand story when they were sweeping, sweeping the sheds, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That kind of stuff. I think this is really interesting for me personally because when you were much younger, I was involved for a short time in Formula One and my first ever trip to a, a factory was Red Bull where yeah. Sebastian Vettel was involved at the time. It was... Um, 2009 and he just joined the team and I remember he had not been there very long and I went in and he knew the, the guy whose mum had been ill or yeah. the girl who just got married or the person who had a you know a, a physical issue they were yeah. trying to deal with at the moment or there was someone I remember at the time who was struggling with their mental health and he spoke to them about that and I was watching this thinking I used to think you just drove a car yeah now I start to realize that and for people that are listening to this and don't understand how complex and involved your world is, you're effectively a kind of managing director of a group of people in this building. No and exactly in a way, you have to get them to operate in the way that you like and yep. you have to push them, they have to push you. I'd be so interested to know when you first walked in this building and you were given the race seat and it was suddenly your responsibility to be the, the yep. MD of that area. Do you remember what you said or the message you wanted to convey to the people that would be working directly with you to create a culture that you wanted around you i think the the main thing was bringing like their work and, and effort and everything that they put into it and just rewarding them simply there's always the times when you have to speak to the teams and all the, the team here and um you know, i get real nervous in front of the, the hundreds of people that are there but i feel like there's just so much responsibility on me and the amount of effort and time that's gone into building what I drive. And then like I'm that final piece of the jigsaw that just needs to go out and do the job that they're all expecting. So for me, it's just um, like I'm not a part of that chain and I just want to finish off the job that, that they've started. Um, and that's from building the car, you know, and the drawings that they start off with all the way to the computers, to the actual thing and then putting it on track. So yeah, like the only thing I said is like, I just want to do them proud and put together their, their story of going from a piece of paper to the, hopefully a trophy at the end of the day but that's a that's a tough one so and how important was the, was the personal relationship with all of these individuals because there's a lot of people on, on your side of the there's garage. a heck of a load of people 
the main thing for me is like just enjoying things that I do like uh whether or not I would still be here if I enjoyed it I'm not too sure but uh um the reason I do it is because I enjoy it so if I want to enjoy things then my enjoyment doesn't come from me thinking like that I'm I don't need to care about the others you know a lot of it comes from me getting to know them and spending some time with them having chats and you um, feel the benefits of that yes yeah so can you give us a specific example then Lando of where you feel one of those relationships you've invested in yeah has had a direct tangible effect when you're behind the wheel of a car I could I couldn't give you an example of when I'm nice to someone like the how it returns to me when I actually drive the car but I think there's more just how everything works in the background and a trust and a trust and yeah responsibility and 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 so on that people will give to you when you give it to them can we wind back to the first season in yeah. formula one um and and from the outside, for everyone, it would look amazing because you're the youngest ever British yeah. debutant in Formula One. You're still a teenager. You're driving a car. It's a dream. And the car we've got alongside us, you know, it bears quite prominently the logo for, for the Mind Charity who yep. work to support people's mental health. Everyone has spoken about the joys of being a Formula One driver, and mm -hmm. many people understand that. Would you mind sharing with us some of the struggles of that first year? Uh, sure. So I think all of it would already start uh, at the first race. Um, just like we kind of spoke about the amount of people which are here working on everything and like at that point I just feel like just another driver and I don't feel like I'm way better than everyone else at this point or necessarily believe I'm much better than everyone else at this point but like I'm on the grid and I just think like so many people are watching me I have so much to deliver for, for the whole team and I am a new driver in Formula One. There's a lot of eyes on me. There's expectations. You don't want to let McLaren down. You know, they're most, one of the most historic teams in Formula One. So, uh, like that already just puts that pressure on. How the media portrays you is one of the biggest things. So, when things start to go wrong, um, when you make a couple of mistakes and the media have a little dig at you, um, and then fans and, you know, people on social media start to have a, more of a dig at you. That's when, like that self-doubt that sometimes I, I would have like that grows when yeah. people kind of just add on to that you know and um i was never i struggled a lot in like the final few years to get into formula one so formula three formula two having that belief of am i better than them am i the same as them am i a little bit worse like am i good enough to be in formula one and that kind of stays even when i was in that first year of formula one like am i good enough to go around Monaco and deliver that lap in Q3 when it comes or if I'm in a position to be on the podium or uh, on top of the podium am I there am I going to be able to deliver it when when it counts but uh that's okay and I, I could live with that quite easily on when maybe I've made those little mistakes and so on but um when people add to it and and um you see comments that's when you like start to feel a lot worse about yourself and especially when I'm in my first year it's like I know my parents have put so much effort into helping me get to there the team have all the, the expectations the whole world are watching and then you just think like if this goes wrong you know it's my first year in formula one if this goes wrong you know what am i going to do if i'm not in formula one because this is all i've lived yeah. for my whole life like what am i going to fall on right if if all of this goes wrong and even just having those thoughts is already and this is all swilling around while you're still trying to drive yeah, this a formula like, one car exactly, to the best of your business. exactly and um you know always putting on like the smiley face for the cameras and all those kind of things like that's not the um the easiest thing but yeah you just get into that point when like even you know i had maybe three or four races where i was just struggling a little bit and um, I had Carlos as my teammate at that, top, at that point and he was doing a very good job he was getting to grips with the car and, and extracting everything out of it and um, just three or four races where like he beat me and I was just like, you know, I, what, what, like what do I do I just got to the point where I don't know is this the end of it it's like 
what if I can't just find something else? You know, what I didn't know what to do at that point. That sounds quite lonely. Did it feel? It like? is, yeah. Especially because I'm a guy who doesn't like to talk too much. I guess I sometimes I do, but a lot of the time I like to keep things like hidden and tucked inside and stuff. And when I have problems, I tend not to talk about them. Um, especially back then, definitely didn't talk about them as much as what I do now. So a lot of it is my mind. You know, how like I like to think of it more on, on my own. And um, and how self-critical were you being at this point? I say too much. Like I'm definitely my biggest critic. But like I think a lot of pros and and you see footballers or you know Formula One drivers, whoever it is, I think um, uh, they're their own biggest critics by by a long way. Um, but I think you need to learn the balance of it, you know, and also know when to pat yourself on the back a little bit and say you've done a good job. But there was a lot less of that than there was of right. of um, bringing myself down. So always having that self doubt and that um, being critical of myself and just thinking on my on my own and not like allowing others to help me as much as I could because I always thought it would be my fault, not someone else's. And I would hate to ever blame it on, on someone so else. Here's, so this is a good conversation then because we were joined by an explorer called Nims Perger. Yeah. And he said excuses and remove the learnings. Yeah. Right. So you look at Carlos you, and, you know, for those that don't know much about Formula One, that is the first judge is your teammate, right? Yes. That's the first person to beat. And you've been beaten mm -hmm. three or four races running by him. I'd love to know the process you went through to work that out in your own head because if you just think oh well he's been in the team longer or he's been in the sport longer or yeah. he's more experienced than me the, the excuses I could, I are could never, the I could never use experience as the excuse like that was one I could why not like now I feel like I can use it because I've learned about how much it can actually change yeah um, but at that point I just never I would never want to use the excuse apart from it's myself and I've just I hadn't thought about that though of and I, you can't use experience is excuse because you've got no understanding of what experience exactly. gives you <laughs> exactly and until that point you know i've only ever done one year in every category i've done so i've not spent those multiple years like i've done now in formula one and uh, i just i would i just hated to use it you know if someone can say why why has he done better than you here i go he's just more experienced like it's such an easy thing to say and to use and um and i just really never wanted to to use it but like now i have a much better understanding and i can go i know i didn't do that as well because of the experience. Yeah. But I know at that point I would never have used it. So what did you do? Um, I think there's just a lot of hours and days, probably months, of it just like swirling in your head and just you're thinking things over and over again. Um, like, why has he done that better? How has he done that better? What's he thinking of? You know, how does he spend his time? Uh, and then you do it to yourself, you know, like, what am I not doing good enough? Why am I not doing it as good as him is it because of this or that or this or that and you just come up with all of these excuses for yourself but then i kind of got to a point when because it was four races instead of the three it was four what differences i kind of got to the point when i started to realize like what what else can i do now to make some changes and um it was like coming here spending a little bit more time with my engineers sitting down just refreshing everything kind of starting again a little bit and trying to get some of that self-confidence back in back inside because that's one of the biggest things like if i go out and i think you know I, i'm confident i can go out and break at this point and i can deliver the lap when i need to just thinking of these little things can already start to just click and start to just make things turn over a little bit and uh yeah that's when like small things started but it's just getting to that point which is the the difficult part see what's fascinating there though is because it's often referred to what you describe in Lando as the psychological cage. Yeah. So where the weight of expectation, everyone's looking at you, eyes yeah. are on you, uh, is heavy. 
yeah. or the fear of consequences of getting it wrong and making mistakes feels too steep. Yep. They squeeze your focus on your own ability and what you can do. So how did you dial down the expectation levels and, how, and sort of minimize yep. the fear of getting it wrong to be able to then focus on what you could do differently? I think I was luckily at a point where I could think of a couple of positive things every now and then. And um, I'm like, I am in Formula One. Like, there must be some things that I, I do very well. Um, so and you, you caught and, yourself doing things right. Yes. Like, I think um, what's tricky is, like, sometimes just understanding that. And I think that's when people suffer even more is when they maybe don't see those kind of things. I'm here because I'm good enough in, in many, many circumstances and with many things. Um, what are they? And just, just maximize them. And then I, you know, you just think of them, you speak about them a little bit and then you spark conversations and then you talk about them and you just get some slightly better understandings and then you start to gain some momentum and, and go from there again. I think what's really powerful for people to hear in this conversation is that what you haven't said is, oh, I decided I wanted to win a race. I decided I wanted a podium. I decided I was going to be three tenths of a yeah. second quicker over a lap. Those are all outcome focused goals. Exactly. You clearly went into the process and focused on the process. Yeah, I mean, it's, it, yeah. Especially when, when, a guy, when you're in a competition side of it and you want to win. Um, when you want that, like, you know, that, you want that reward, something that's going to give you so much pleasure and the team pleasure. Um, it's easy to think of it that way. But like when I think of, I'm good enough to be in Formula One, there's also things which I would be thinking of and ways of how I work, which are also going to be good enough, you know, or good building blocks at least. Um, so I think those, those, parts of me which I knew were strong enough to like kind of start to realize these things and create a bit of change and I was lucky I kind of had those things at least to be able to to work from and to, to start thinking slightly differently and so on of course like if I didn't have that I could still be in that bit of a you know spiral and not be thinking I'm still good enough to be in this position and stuff like that but um I don't think I just need to go out and beat him all of a sudden but like how am I going to beat him and and the processes then um you start to realize how you can make change so what top tips would you give to people listening to this, Lando, that maybe are in that fog of confusion, maybe feeling a bit lost? Well, I think like one thing I've not really mentioned as much, or I mentioned a little bit earlier, was the one thing for me that motivates me more than anything is, is enjoyment and, and just fun. Fun and enjoyment. Like if I'm enjoying something, it makes me work harder and makes me want it more. And then it's that a positive spiral of if I work harder, I reward myself more, I enjoy it more and I work harder and it's just, you know, you keep going up. I'd say maybe I got to a point where I wasn't enjoying it as much. Really? And Can you remember when that when that point was? Um, I can't exactly. It's in the first season, though. It'll be in the first season, like maybe halfway towards three quarters of the way through. And I just was like, you know, like, because you're thinking of so many things, you're not just thinking of like, I'm driving a Formula One car in, you know, in America or Japan or whatever it is, which is, which is just awesome. Um, and you start thinking about it and just clouds your judgment, like you said. So the first few things are like, maybe which I would say sparked it off is I need to enjoy it, you know? And um, I think even like my manager and my trainer could kind of tell what was going on a little bit at this point. And um, there was a little bit more time spent on having some days away, enjoying my life and, and maximizing my days at home, you know, with my family or with my friends, whatever it was, going out a little bit, um, going out to dinners again. And um, that kind of just frees your mind up a little bit. So 
I think maybe the first key point is enjoyment. You know, are you enjoying it? Yes or no? And kind of understanding, can you enjoy it? Like it's maybe not easy for people to enjoy the job that they have or whatever they're, they're doing. But I know I could enjoy Formula One and the job I'm in. So I know I could enjoy it. It's just understanding what kind of brought that to me and, and so on. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. So let's talk about our favorite subject on the High Performance Podcasts. Yeah. Responsibility. Yeah. Which quite simply is the ability to respond. Yeah. So we've spoken about you've had some difficult times that first season full of learning. You've managed sure. to get through it. You've clearly had a lot of self-talk yeah. and the team have been brilliant around you and you've got to a great place. And then we, we fast forward to the Russian Grand Prix. Yes. Where you're within a whisker of winning your first ever race. Uh-huh. And... Fault versus responsibility. Okay, loads of things happen in life that are not our fault. Yeah. But they're still our responsibility. Yes. Okay, it was not your fault that the rain came. It was your responsibility, A, to deal with it on track, sure. but then with subsequent events to deal with it afterwards. Yeah. So are you happy to talk through yeah, I can. your responsibility in that situation? Behind the wheel of the car, I guess, is where we yeah. should begin. Uh, so I guess it starts within the race, you know, those, those final few moments. Leading, uh, Lewis has caught me, but I've managed to hold him off for you know, five, five, six, seven, eight laps. And that's, there's that glimmer of hope. <laughs> I'm holding him behind, you know, there's only what, five, five, six laps to go. I, can, I know I can continue to do this. And then the rain's going and there's just that, that build up of pressure. Like, you know, you're focusing, you see one little little puddle or you know, a bit of a shiny surface you know it's wet and all these things um, and you're then in that communication with the team you know you're trying to give feedback to them they're trying to help you and I remember getting a little bit shouty on the radio at the time but not in a like my engineer knows that it's nof- n- there's never anything against him right it's just you're in the moment you just say things and um, it doesn't really matter like it matters and maybe that's one of the things I've learned now is it matters how it comes across but at the time it's just like you know I shout no or shout yes but how they perceive it was can have a small effect you know it can have a small change or they start to think of something so how did they perceive it how did you find out afterwards um so obviously like we would go through all the radio we go through what 
everyone is thinking because it's not just me and my engineer you know you've got strategists um uh, at the track you have um like the engineers you've got then strategists back here in mtc and they're all looking at every little bit of data right people who have done the pit stops onto the intermediate tires people who are staying out my pace lewis's pace um the big one is there more rain coming is there not any more rain coming um and uh just going back over all of these things and i guess like I didn't realize how shouty I was on the radio. Like I, I mean, I come across as like a little kid, but it's, um, it's not like I ever mean to. You it's know, just, um, where they said, "Do you want a pit for instance?" Yeah, I, and you that's yelled, when I said no. No. Yeah. Have you had the conversation? Because this is so interesting when it comes to communication. Have you had the conversation that the way you said no, yes, meant your race engineer couldn't go? No, I really think you should. Uh, yes, of course we spoke about that, but I think we've had like a kind of these conversations before and. Um, I think they just, they did kind of understand the situation yeah. I was in, right? With, with Lewis behind me, a few laps to go, leading the race. Like even for them, there's more pressure. You know, it's the first time we've been in the situation. Of course, I think Daniel won the weekend before. So they kind of already were a little, already a little bit prepared for it, but it's, um, there were so many more factors yeah. this time. And um, we, we did speak about it and uh, I don't think it changed, let's say the overall outcome. I don't think what I said or how I said it changed the outcome of what we did. Um, even if I just said no in a like no I wouldn't like to pit in a nice way <laughs> uh, it wouldn't have changed anything um, but maybe people would have started to think slightly differently and so on so you kind of never know but um, yes we went through everything that I said how I said it the effects that it could have uh, on myself on the teams on how they then put it across to the other people who were then listening to them and so on uh, and the, the decisions which, which come from every little bit of information but uh I guess you kind of need to then realize what um, what can be having the big effect and, and what can't. And me just saying no didn't change the outcome in any way, but um, there could be a time and a place when it does. And um, it could also, I could simply have you know given them a little bit more information at the same time. Instead of just shouting no, I could have gone, no, I'm happy on the slick tire at the minute, but it's very tricky. And if it rains any more, then I'll need a pit. Um, obviously, probably that in a more condensed uh, way and a bit quicker. And maybe that could have sparked something in their, their mind, which was um, maybe we see a little bit more rain coming, maybe we don't, whatever it was. Um, let's pit, let's not pit. The fact was, in the end of it, they didn't realize how much more rain was coming mm. and, and how much worse it was about to get. And I was only with, with two laps to go. So we obviously made the decision. And I think like what uh, what people let's say don't realize as much um is that lewis was in exactly the same position as me of course he was in second but uh he didn't want to pit either he was happy with staying on the slick tires but the team told him it's about to rain a heck of a lot more you need to pit um and that's like information that i didn't get given um and if if they maybe said to me it's about to rain a lot more then i would have been like okay then I'll, I'll need a pit so it, it would go both ways you know it's stuff that i could have helped with with them and stuff that they could have given to me um and it's not still as simple as that there's so many other factors and things that they're looking at and seeing and so on but like as a simple way of putting it that's that's what it came down to so how did you flush out that disappointment how long did it take you and what was the process that you went through um to move on i mean like the next let's say two uh, three four days were pretty tough um, just cause it's like always then thinking that could have been my first win in Formula One. Um, and I think as far as like that could, that could have been my only win in Formula One, you know, my only chance to Formula One, you never know. Cause you don't know what car we're going to have this year and next year and so on. But, um, 
there's times when you know people's f1 careers only last a couple of years or three four years whatever it is so it's like could that have been my only chance to win a race in formula one and then you kind of like what we spoke about earlier what could i have said differently what could i have done differently and i think of all of these things but then when we sat down and just just stop for a little bit and you kind of review everything in a clean way and an efficient way um you pick apart the, the things we did well the things we didn't do well and what could have been a what were the deciding factors with everything what's now then the single biggest bit of learning for you from from uh, those few laps the main thing is to um never like get caught up in the moment so the moment of that was i'm leading a race uh i got lewis behind me it's wet um I'm not, I wasn't thinking as clearly as what I should have been thinking. And um, the more information I can just clearly give the team, the more they can understand like the, the position that I'm in, how I'm feeling, um, and the easier we can make decisions. Because sometimes I maybe just say no when I expect too much of, of them. You know, I expect them to just know what I'm thinking, what I'm feeling. When, when they don't, you know, they can see data, they see the lines and graphs, whatever, but they're not behind the wheel. So they don't know, like, am I really like, you know am i pushing like hell um if i got a little bit more am i going to be in the wall like all of these little things so um just kind of staying calm which is such an easy thing to to say but doing it when you're in that circumstance is very different but just clearing concise information is just always the best thing and um them giving it to me in in that way and and vice versa is uh is only going to help us win races and get on the podium more often so understanding that is the, the best thing so will you take us into that debrief meeting then, Lando, and tell yeah. us the kind of questions that you're asking that get the best results yeah. to learn and move on next time? Um, so I think one of the, the main things which I came back from after Russia and having those few days off to think about it, the first one is what could I have done differently? Uh, again, just thinking of it like as a, as a me fault, what could I have done differently? And um, then you, we, you know, we listened to the radio and, and all of these things. And for me, it was just all I wanted to understand was, was it my fault? Yes or no? In the end, it's easier to like to say no, like now. Um, it, it wasn't my fault, but it doesn't mean like there's nothing I could have done better. And of course, we just kind of spoke about some of those things that I could have done better and should have done. And um, already some of these things were put into practice, I think a couple of weeks later, back in, in Turkey, when it was drying out a little bit, it was hard to choose whether to go intermediates or slicks, went to box and so on. Um, and it goes from the week of Russia, Mercedes looking like heroes, all clever, they made the best decision ever, we made the worst. And it was completely flipped the next week. Um, Mercedes made a terrible decision, went to box, we made a really good one, we gained, they lost. Yeah, there's always that next time when those things can, can come again and we can try and do a better job. It's a good reminder that what is hard for you isn't necessarily bad for you. I mean, like yes. you're a better, you're a better exactly. driver I'm for much that. happier that it's happened in a time when I'm not going for a championship, you know, I'm not going even for top three or top four. You know, I'm going for sixth or seventh in the championship. Like for me, it's not a big achievement to do something like that. So do you think about the first win? Because I think it's so easy to sit in now and think I just want to win a race. But yeah. if you could be an 11 year old Lando again, you yeah, just yeah. want to be in Formula One. You have to be very careful become an obsessive of the outcome. Yes. Because you either get there and then you're demotivated or you never get there and you're demotivated. Yeah. No, I I wouldn't... Of course, I think of it. I can't lie. I think uh, everyone on the grid would say that you know, they thought about winning the race and uh, especially that one, you know, when I saw then Lewis, I think it was his 100th race win. Then just made me feel even worse. Like, just gave him his 100th <laughs> race win. I've not even got one. Um, 
and you know you see those you know a few cases where the outsiders won the race you know you've got mercedes and red bull who are always going to win but um you know when when esteban won the race in uh, budapest and that's when it looks even cooler because yeah, they're the, the, the people in my position it's the benefit to you in thinking like that because there are hundreds of people my yeah, son being yeah, one of them know, looking at you thinking i'd like to be where he is yes. and you're thinking you want to be where I guess they are because you always move those expectations you've always you're always going to up them and like what's the next step you for you to achieve something and you always want to be satisfied by reaching an achievement um but i think in, in formula one that's so difficult because uh it's not like a uh, a guarantee you're ever going to win a race or, yeah. or be on the podium or anything like that and that's could have nothing to do with you right it could just be because of reliability or your car's not quick enough or the the rain comes or whatever it is so uh it's never always going to be your fault so maybe there's some things you can change here and there but uh um no i think you need to understand when you get to formula one a race win doesn't necessarily mean you're first place in in the race right um like a race win for me um two years ago like in austria was being third place zero chance i would have ever won a race impossible like unless you'll crash and whatever but in terms of actually achieving our maximal potential um it was to finish in, in third place and that's what i did so i maybe would have been even happier winning the race but that's there's no point thinking about it because it just never would have happened so i just had to be feel like a race win was a p3 for me and a bit of uh, see what's really interesting is you're describing the process and performance goals that yeah. are within your control the outcome is the stuff that you've learned to, yes, exactly. to park. But what what fascinates me when I was reading about your background, Lando, is given your age, yeah. that the driver that's been dominant as you've grown up in the sport watching it is somebody that's now a rival. Yes. So how do you mentally get beyond seeing somebody that might have been a hero mm -hmm. five years ago to now be somebody that you want be. to topple? Uh it's a it's a tricky one because the first few times I really began to or I had a chance to race him were like Austria, um, you would say Russia a little bit kind of can I keep a seven time world champion behind me, um, these kind of things which like they do play in your mind a little bit. And were you thinking that can I keep a seven time world champion or were you thinking can I be the guy driving that car? Yeah, because like at that time I'm thinking I'm not necess necessarily thinking exactly those words. Yeah. But um, the thinking, I'm like, you know, I'm going around and you're just on the straight. You're thinking, all right, like, what is he going to try and do now? Like, what, what, what has he understood or what's he learned over the last, whatever, 20 years that um, he's going to try and outsmart me on? Um, is it the, the battery? Is it the tires? Is it the engine mode? Is, it, um, uh, is he going to try and like pull back to make it, f make me feel like I'm comfortable and then pounce and then have a go and like... Now, all of these things playing on my head. What's what's he gonna try and outsmart me on? Those things definitely play on your play on your mind a little bit. On especially like we spoke about um, the experience side of it. You know, there's something he's gonna be more experienced than me on. Um, I just need to be ready to anticipate what that might be. Um, I might know it. I might not. But uh, I just gotta be ready for those kind of things. So once you then go through that that little feeling you have and those those thoughts and you have an outcome um the outcome of the race obviously was was not a good one uh we should have won and we didn't but um the outcome of i managed to hold him off for as long as i could and he didn't just cruise past me it wasn't like i made a mistake and he came past me he didn't outsmart me um then it just gives you a little bit more confidence like well he didn't actually do anything out of this world and do something which i wasn't expecting or anything you know and um and the same way in austria like there wasn't something he just did that extra mile which i was just like wow 
that's that's unbelievable you know i covered the ba the basics there are smaller things which i need to be prepared for but um these things give you a big confidence booster once you achieve them and um it's just because you kind of overthink it sometimes it's easy to overthink things and that's when it can get much trickier than it needs to be we've almost reached the end where we do our quick fire questions okay before we get there like i just get this overriding sense that this would have seemed like such an alien environment when you first walked in and i'm sure the imposter syndrome was strong and you know you would have thought of all those mclaren drivers over the years and the more we've spoken the more comfortable you seem yeah about being a formula one driver behind the wheel how comfy are you as a formula one driver as a public figure i mean i'm thinking the relationship with the press or the the scrutiny not necessarily criticism because mm -hmm. I, I see just positivity about you but i see a lot of scrutiny you yeah. know a photo goes up with you a, and a young lady and yeah. i see your name trending on twitter you know I, yeah. I can't even begin to imagine what that is like because and i don't want this to come across the wrong way yeah but you're still only in your early 20s like yeah. when you're 43 maybe yeah. you should deal with it but um i just think that all the years of driving and racing carts doesn't equip you for that side of it so no. where are you on that element these days um i definitely it's like right now i'm definitely in the best position i've been in uh not just like you said as a racing driver but my just being a normal person away from the circuit a bit of that has just come with the making the mistakes and posting something i shouldn't have done or um saying something i should have done and you get again the experience of learning about these kind of things learning how media can pick up on something so small or how especially fans would you share with us your biggest learning from that where you thought i didn't even mean that i was like oh um i mean I, there's not been one one big thing but there's just been like comments you know where i would have said something and like I, it would have been probably about lewis or sebastian or one of the yeah. like the drivers i respect more than anyone you, wasn't you said something which obviously you didn't something about lewis wasn't it about it means less or something if you win in that car or something you know? yeah oh yes yeah was, yeah well it was mercedes right it that's was, what uh, it was it was like it's a great car kind of comment yes like you you should expect him to win a race because he's in a mercedes which but then it gets twisted pretty the same thing everyone in the world's thought about but just me saying it in an interview yeah. is what changes all so of how it. do you still be yourself um <laughs> that's that's the tricky thing because yeah. like i would never mean something to have bad intentions like that's just not the person i am um unless i really hate someone <laughs> but uh um i would never mean it especially in an interview when i have nothing against the person lewis at this point or mercedes like what's the reason there's no gain for me to do so there's no that's just silly um so the fact people want to put it across that way um and if people believe that then they obviously just don't know me very well right but um uh the obvious one is just, i guess got to be more careful with what i say here and there um but uh but to like once you kind of get through it a couple times and you maybe say two or three things people start to just kind of have um like a a bit more of a belief in you in the things you say rather than you just saying one comment which is just outrageous um and just kind of maybe the respect as well you've got to gain that little bit of respect by sometimes saying things that people don't agree with um because then you lose those say fans you lose those few people which are just like um hate you, hate you for saying those kind of things and i'm very happy to have people you know not following me anymore if they kind of just want to believe everything that they see in social media and things like that um because then they simply don't know who i am very well so you just gotta yeah accept it a couple of times like it's you just got to go through those hard times um being told off by the team and things like that um but 
like you just kind of also realize that you have the right to say things that you want um and not everyone's going to agree with it but uh, yeah I, like i never want people to think of me in a bad way or think like uh we spoke about in the beginning that i'm think i'm miles better than everyone and i should have more right to do things and say things than than other people like that's um far from what i would ever believe and uh and and want to lead people to believe so um yeah it's hard because i would always have it with the best intention but just people understanding that is what was difficult so um just saying it like now and people listening to this and the more people will believe like exactly i think even this comes. is powerful and i think maybe two or three years ago the team or you wouldn't have necessarily wanted a conversation like this yeah but you get comfortable in your exactly and, and it's like you're here for a short time you and have you, to be you you get comfortable with with people not liking it like that's something you just have to do you have to get people with you have to get comfortable with people not liking what you say here and there um and just live with it like that's just a part of life that's people that's people you know different opinions and it means you stand for something sure exactly yeah and um i think before i was a little bit more in the middle you know where i just i would say these things but i just didn't want to people to have opinions on me i just wanted to be nice and in the middle ground of, of everywhere whereas i guess now i feel like i can stand up for my own opinion a little bit more and say what I want a little bit more and and understand that people are going to be with me and some people are going to be against me and um I'm happy but like I'm I'm fine with that nowadays like that's just I've understood that's life that's always going to happen as long as people and humans are around that's just the the way we're made and uh yeah I just got to deal with it but that's all wonderful right Lando our quick fire questions far away the first one is the three non-negotiables that you and the people around you need to buy into the three rules that you live your life by really um enjoy life number one by mile enjoy life um be kind uh it'll help those people you know make their day make their week you know if i take one minute out of my day to go and sign a picture for a kid or something like sometimes it's not necessarily what you want to go and do but you just made that kid's year sometimes, you know, and it's just a cool feeling you get after it. Um, so be kind because you give to them and it'll give back to you eventually. Number three, learn when you know you've done a good job and be happy with that yep. and kind of then make pr- work from there rather than be just... Be kind to yourself, right? Be saying. kind to yourself. Yeah, not only other people, but be kind to yourself. So those three things are most nice. important to me. If you could go back to any one moment in your life, yep. what would it be and why? I would love to go back to just when I was younger. I was always rude to my parents. So <laughs> I'd love to be a bit nicer to them at times. Um, yeah, uh, be nice to my parents. I like the fact you don't want to go and change things. Like you could easily go back to Russia and say, oh, I'd put on intermediate yeah, nah, jazz. Like, yeah. But no. it would remove the learning. You wouldn't I know, be the it would remove the learning today. and just remove the point of life. Like if everything's <clears> perfect, you. it's not as enjoyable. So. Up and down, right? Yep. Up and down. Exactly. Would you recommend one book or podcast or TV series that are... Apart from this one? Yeah. Um, the two that I've read is the... And my engineer gave it to me. It's the one about New Zealand, sweeping the sheds, everything. Yeah. Um, learning what it means to be a team player rather than ever thinking about yourself first uh that's number one and number two was the subtle art of not Not giving giving a fuck yeah um yeah like again that's one of the things which has helped me like understand all of these things that go on when you get to formula one and lead up to formula one is understanding what you should care about and what you shouldn't um and uh that's made my life much easier what's been the biggest sacrifice you've made to be become a high performer and would you make it again I would make it again because I've got to live my life and 
achieve my own goals and not live someone else's life. Um, but uh, spending as much time with my family, I would say, is number one. Or like not having spent as much time with my family is what I would have done if I was just, um, I don't know, going to school and having a normal job and stuff like that. Um, and the friends, you know, like the whole social side of it all. Um, yeah, that's definitely one thing I would... Look, it's a sacrifice. I realize how much of a difference it's made now. And just as a family thing, like, you, know, you just want to spend more time with your family and it's always a nice thing. And lastly, your kind of final message really for the listeners or the viewers if they're watching this on YouTube to your uh, your one golden rule for a high-performance life? Um, oh, it's the obvious one. Enjoy, Enjoy. it. <laughs> Enjoy it. I don't know, maybe everyone says that, but for me, it's just like a huge part of my life. I got to enjoy everything I do. Um, you know, take time away from work sometimes to go and do things you want. Um, but enjoy it. And if you don't enjoy it, sack it off and go and do something else. Damien. Jake. You know, I'm really pleased that in that interview, we we talked about his upbringing and we, you know, celebrated actually the fact that he came from a successful, loving supportive family because i think that we are probably guilty of focusing too much on people's upbringings when they struggle and we're not good enough at celebrating for some reason it's a taboo subject to celebrate someone who's born into into wealth or into money you know it's kind of i don't know it's almost like we think it makes the journey easier and of course without question it it opens doors for people and it helps but it's not everything and i think he's shown that you know money can can help you to a certain point but you know, when he talks about the stresses and strains of his first year in Formula One, it isn't helpful in that situation, you know. Yeah, I think that that's a really valid point, Jake. I've, I mean, I, I've had people give me feedback on that, that when we've interviewed people, that we do tend to brush over those people that come from, say, the public school sector or life of privilege, almost as if we're uncomfortable to go there. So I think it is important to show that money can grease a situation it can make things a little bit easier and give you maybe greater choice but it doesn't it doesn't immunize you from the pressures of once you're at the sharp end like Lando is you've still got to perform that money doesn't give you that get out of jail card and that's why I thought it was really great in the way that he explained his story and more about the values that has been passed on from his parents that is taken into the world of Formula One and also I think we have to realize and recognize that even if you come from a background of privilege, it shouldn't dull the glow around your success. You know, yes, as you say, it helps in certain parts, but you can come. You know, there are many, many cases of people who come from an amazing privileged upbringing who don't go on to do things like Lando has done and perform on the world stage because they don't have it in them to do that. And I almost think that, you know, he does something amazing and we go, yeah, but his parents were rich. Well, yeah, but that doesn't mean that, you know, that money from his parents didn't give him discipline and self-worth and determination and resilience and the actual raw talent to be a great Formula One driver. And I do think it's important that, that we recognise that. And, you know, credit to him as well for talking about what it was like in that first season in Formula One, because current sports people don't talk about it as much as they should and for him to do that and I know they have a partnership with with mind as well at the McLaren Formula One team which is an important part of this conversation for him to do that is without question helpful for people starting out on any new venture in their life yeah it's both helpful but really brave of him as well to be able to expose himself in that way you know um and I'd like to give thanks to Lucinda uh, one of um, Lando's team there that was 
great in terms of setting it up. I know she listens to the podcast. And she told us a really lovely story about Lando that that really resonated with me, that she was describing that when the drivers get to uh, in the box seat, they often get given a, a McLaren sports car that's worth around quarter of a million. And she said that Lando's parents had intervened at that stage and suggested that a 19-year-old boy shouldn't have a car like that, and they asked him not to give it to them. And I think that one little anecdote is really illustrative of the values that are being passed on to him, that you have to work hard. Hard work isn't a substitute for wealth or privilege. And again, I think it's it's helpful for anyone of our listeners to understand that. Yeah, and look, I pride myself, Damien, on, on having empathy, not opinion, right? But even I, when Lando first got into Formula 1, even I was like, oh, well, he comes from money. So, you know, he's obviously paid his way in. And he talked about the fact that it wouldn't have been the same for him if he'd have paid for that seat at McLaren. He was determined to earn that himself, which I think, obviously, massive credit to him. But it's a reminder to all of us that, you know, we just can't, we can't just have an opinion with no understanding or no knowledge. And even I was like, oh, well, it's a wealth thing. And, and I'm frustrated and annoyed with myself for doing that because we sit and have that conversation with him. And, you know, we've we've had this conversation privately between us in the past. I left thinking, I hope my son is like that when he's in his early 20s. Yeah, I would love my, you know, he was polite, he was friendly, he hung around after the interview, he shook everyone's hand, he got to know everyone, he talked about the work he's done in the factory with the team. This isn't a front or a pretense. This is someone who's obviously had a great upbringing, but also is, a, is just a great person himself and is managing to stay true to that. And you know what, I hope that, and I'm sure he will go on to get lots of wins and maybe some world titles. I hope if we meet him in a few years' time, he hasn't lost himself in the world of Formula One and success and superstardom and things. Yeah, I think you can sum him up in just one simple word. He was authentic. You know, I think that that's a testimony to both himself, but his parents, and also to the team around him. You know, that lovely story about helping the mechanics out and really enjoying learning his craft before he ever got into that seat tells you why so many people are willing him to do well. And again, there's a big message for anyone there that be nice. You know, it's that I heard an interview recently with Nile Rogers that said that his mum had given him advice. He said, it's the same amount of energy it takes to be nasty as it's the same amount of energy it takes to be nice. So why would you choose to uh, the nasty option? when you're going to invest the same energy. And I thought that Lando was a great example of that. Yeah, brilliant. Um, and if you're new to the High Performance Podcast because you're a fan of Lando's and you saw he was on, so you came to the episode, and you're an F1 fan, um, there are a few other guests you should check out as well. Episode 51, we were joined on this podcast by Toto Wolf. A really interesting conversation. This is what he told us um, when he spoke about his style of management and, um, and the power of having patience. I think when you would ask the people that, that work with me in the team, they would rather say I'm impatient because I want things changing now. I'm um, um, exercising pressure to the point where I think it's helpful and not beyond. But I, I, you know, I get on with things. If I want to solve a problem, I pick up the phone. And you know, there's no postponement of any action. But on the other side, life has proven to me that sometimes the things that you want to achieve also need patience. And I, I enjoy that, uh, to have an, to, to look for an outcome in my interaction with people or, or what I want to, to, to achieve for this team. And it happens, but it happens over time. And it's almost a self-discipline on being able to wait.
It's an interesting clip that Damien, because the reality is Toto and Lando, they both exist in a world where not only is patience in short supply because you've got to win and you've got to win quick, but they both exist in a world where public scrutiny is incredible. And, you know, just a couple of days ago, the new um, Drive to Survive series came out. And I think one thing that's really helped people when it comes to Formula One with Drive to Survive is, again, an empathy and understanding. They've lifted the lid on Formula One and we actually get to see just what a challenge it is to compete on a global scale. We see the great side, but there's a whole hidden world that, that we don't get to see. And it's so good that the lid is finally being lifted on that, isn't it? Yeah, and we get to see the process, not the outcome. And I think when we follow that process, again, at the risk of repeating ourselves uh, from pretty much every episode that we do, falling in love with the process, will, the score will eventually take care of itself the outcomes will eventually be delivered. And Toto's episode was a phenomenal example of explaining that. And talking of the process, that's teed me up very nicely to say. We were also joined recently by Christian Horner. If you want to find Christian Horner's episode of the High Performance Podcast, episode 58, here's what he told us about creating a culture at Red Bull. Yeah, there's a risk. You know, Red Bull, as was famously said by a current seven-time world champion, they're a fizzy drinks company. How can they make a racing car? You know, and the same would apply to an engine, but you know, we'll do it and we'll do it, we'll do it well and we'll get the best people involved and we'll give them a great environment and it'll be inclusive and, and you know, that breeds um, and, and perpetuates throughout a business. And I think it, all the talent that we've brought into the team over the years and the reason we've had tremendous stability as well is because you know, it, it, it just uh, it perpetuates throughout throughout the business. Really cool. So Christian Horner, episode 58. Toto Wolf, episode 51. It was a pleasure to share that conversation with you, Damien. Oh, it was as well. And I'll, I'll remind anyone that uh, hasn't listened to Christian's advice yet. I stole the line that his wife had passed on to him, was that a pat on the back is only six inches higher than a kick up the arse. And uh, I think that keeps us all grounded and humble. Love that. Um, thanks, mate. And actually talking of a pat on the back, we are now going to um, give a pat on the back to a high-performance listener because this is the part of the show that Damien and I always love. It's where we actually get a chance to speak to someone who has listened to high-performance and been impacted by the podcast. So today's guest um, got in touch with us and sent us um, a message, first of all in May, saying over the past couple of weeks I've listened to many of your episodes um, on my daily walks. Everyone is an inspiration. I love hearing your guests speak at length about how they face and overcome challenges and the power of a positive mindset. I have found it's often the guests that I might not usually be drawn to that proves to be the most fascinating. These stories uh, will really help me face the coming weeks and months as I take on treatment and then recovery. Um, and I'm pleased to say that Gareth joins us now. Gareth, first of all, thank you so much for sending us an email. Um, so maybe you would like to share the story with our listeners um, about the treatment that you were undergoing when you were listening to the High Performance Podcast that you mentioned in your message to us. Yeah, uh, thank, thanks, Jake. Um, but as a bit of background, um, I guess I was fit, healthy guy, didn't really get ill sort of ran the occasional marathon and um, for a little while I'd just been feeling a bit under the weather, some stomach pains, uh, just lacking a bit of energy. I better get this checked out, um, had a scan. Uh, then April 22nd last year, get a call from a consultant saying um, 
your scan's shown um, lymphoma. In fact, you've shown quite a lot of it and um, you, you're going to need some treatment and, you know, a real shock. Felt really numb. Um, some really hard conversations with wife, kids, parents. But pretty quick, you're into different tests, treatment, and um, sort of, sort of before you know it, you're, 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 looking, you're looking forward again. I've got to admit, it's been a harder, longer road than I was expecting. Um, there were some setbacks along the way, sort of June time. Um, there was a complication after chemo. Had to have a um, pretty major uh, emergency operation. Uh, that found some different lymphoma, changed the treatment. Then in the autumn, you know, I thought I was progressing really well in terms of how I was feeling, um, but got uh, had a couple of scans which didn't show as much progress as um, I would have hoped, everyone would have hoped. Um, so ultimately finished with a um, stem cell transplant in December, um, three weeks in hospital, um, pretty rough recovery after that. But um yeah, come through to February, um, another scan, uh, and the great news with that is the the cancer's cancer's clear, no more chemo needed. Uh, just absolute huge relief, I suppose, is the overriding emotion. And um, I, there's a couple of things still to deal with. Um, need another operation as a to reverse some of the treatment I had last summer and a precautionary scan in May, but. Um, I'm in a much better place and um, really starting to look forward. Well, that's lovely news, Gareth, and many congratulations on it. Um, how has the podcast been of help to you during what sounds like a pretty traumatic period of your life? Yeah, no, it's been a it's been a tough period, and the podcast's um, been with me throughout. Really, um, something I've really tried to do is sort of daily walks and um, sort of put my headphones in and um, have it. Have a good listen to to the podcasts or the times I've been in hospital. Um, again, I've I've just found a, a great listen. The guest stories uh, I just find really really inspiring. Each one's got a unique story, but actually, what I was taking out are some quite a lot of the parallels um, in in the stories. Similar themes coming, and then I guess I could link link some of those to what I was going through, and I, I just I just found that a, a real help. Do you remember the episode, Gareth, or the moment where you kind of realised, oh, hold on a minute, this podcast actually is something that can help me and help other people? Yeah, I don't know if I can put it to one, but there's probably I can probably identify three key themes that come through. Um, look, throughout, um, I think the mental challenge has been as hard as the physical challenge in terms of what I've been through. Um, so, um, you yeah, know, lots of the guests will talk around a sort of positive mindset, a growth mindset, uh, having optimism. I think I'm quite optimistic in my nature and had a belief that I can sort of, uh, I can get through this from the beginning. But um, sort of Steve Bartlett, I remember one of the sort of really early ones, really talking around believing I could and um, sort of how, how that then was put into practice. And um, I guess, you know, now I'm sort of, through most of the journey, yeah, I can look and probably find lots of things that, from the experience, have probably made me stronger, actually. Um, certainly given me a perspective on what's important, and um, I'm probably a bit more grateful for the things I've got. So um, so that would be that would be the first one. The second sort of theme would be this idea that 
success doesn't happen um, in a straight line. Uh, this, for me, has been a, a real winding road. Um, I remember right at the beginning with a consultant, and it's probably the nature of the type of person I am. I've, I was trying to map out, right, what is going to take um, six lots of chemo, three weeks apart. So by October, I'll be through it. I'll be all right. And um, I guess you learn pretty quickly. Um, it's not as easy as that. And, um, yeah, I learned to respect the illness and, um, I guess, just focus on on the next step. And um, I guess I felt a real responsibility to do um, what was in my control to the very best of my ability. So whether that's what I was eating, exercise, sort of rest, um, where, where my attitude was, just having as much normality as possible was help, helpful for me. I guess setbacks happen. Uh, you have to be resilient. Um, you have to persevere. And finally, the, the third theme, I guess, is this idea that you just can't do it yourself. You know, I had to put a lot of trust into the, the medical teams, firstly. Um, I had absolutely fantastic support from the teams at the Priory Hospital, at the QE Hospital. High performance in action, I guess you could say, in terms of... Um, the people I was coming into contact with, and then just the the wider network that I'd got, the amount of energy and support that you get from them. For for my family, uh, my wife and four kids, um, this has been real hard process for them, and um, they, they've been absolutely brilliant. The way that they've coped, they, they've coped with everything that's been thrown at us. I guess again, in terms of an episode, lots lots of them as talk around the power of the team, but um, I guess. Sia Khaleesi um, talking around um, sort of having a common goal and not being able to achieve it yourself and, and really needing a, a full team effort to do it. It's so fantastic, Gareth, to have you coming on and talking about this. So Damien and I said when we first started High Performance that for us, this podcast is about outcome, not about income. I don't know whether you're, you're aware of this, but National Careers Week was last week and we had an, an, a message from um, a man called Steve Huey who said um, the your collaboration with National Careers Week is producing something that will impact thousands of young people, schools and organisations. The ripples will be spread in directions you haven't even imagined. And I'm just sitting here thinking that, you know, whether you're 16 years old and planning your future or whether you're an adult like we are and you are and you've, you've been through a traumatic time, um, for us to create a podcast that impacts even one person would have been um, something we'd be really grateful for. So for us to think that we're impacting so many people in so many ways at so many different moments in their life um, is really humbling for all of us to hear. So on behalf of the whole team, everyone that works on High Performance, you know, thank you so much, not just for reaching out, but for coming on here um, and sharing your story. And we always say this to people, the biggest thanks, you know, has to go to you. Like it was all in you already. That mindset, that growth mindset, that belief, that desire to better yourself, to improve, to to take 100% responsibility, to smell the roses every morning, to make the most of every day. Like that was already there in you. You just had to find something that unlocked it. And it just so happened to be this podcast. Thanks, Jake. Really appreciate that. And um, big thanks for all that you're doing. Thanks, Gareth. I love it when we have a listener like that, Damien. And actually, I've got another message here that's come into us. Um, and this one's from Andrew, who says, beliefs are thoughts we keep on thinking. That, of course, came from Gabby Bernstein. And he said, um, if you keep on believing you will actually achieve something, then you probably will. 
daily thoughts about a successful future will lead to a more positive and successful future. It certainly sounds much better than thinking that you won't. He said the episode with Gabby was really interesting and Lee also got in touch to say, I was really pleased to hear a well-known life coach in Gabby Bernstein making it clear that sometimes there is a need for pharmaceutical intervention. In her words, when you're having a biochemical condition, there is a time and a place for psychiatric medication. Um, and all too often, the psychiatrist and neurologist fields are far too segregated and polarised in their stigmatised views, which only serves to create barriers to progress. It's time to break down those barriers and all work together for the common goal. Thank you very much for that, Lee. And I think that's really, Damien, what this podcast is about. Like, at no point are we saying any one guest's ideology is something that everyone should adopt. We're just saying, listen to it all and let, you know... Let, it is about having no barriers, actually, isn't it? You know, there is no sort of conversation off limits for us because it might just be that that's the conversation that really impacts someone and helps change their life. Yeah, and that taps into the idea that there is no one way to high performance. You know, this is about living a high-performing life on your own terms, whether that's being a the best parent you can, the best partner, or the best professional in whatever job you do. There's no one way to get there and all our guests have showed us a variety of different techniques and that's where our curiosity just keeps getting peaked week after week by what's a new idea what's something else that we can take away and adopt ourselves so it's it's fantastic that people listening can also access that absolutely and uh, next week on high performance we're going to be joined by someone who has um, helped to change millions of lives for the better Here's what's coming your way on next week's High Performance Podcast. I think a lot of my joy and happiness comes from, you know, helping other people. And I actually had a real, it was a real high. Like, P with Joe was a high, emotional high. I was doing those live workouts. Millions of people took part. And, you know, when it ended, I stopped and reflected on what I was doing and obviously read all these wonderful letters and cards and things. And I processed, like, what I'd actually done. And I was there for people when they really needed it. Like, there was, the people were really down and there was a lot of people struggling. And so I kind of... I look back at it, it's a, it's a, it was a fond memory in a, during a difficult time. But for me, ultimately, like, I just, as long as I'm helping people, as long as it's, it could be through YouTube, it could be through events, it could be a live, you know, a podcast or a conversation I have, as long as I'm helping other people live a healthier life and a happier life, that's where I get most of my, my, my joy from. So it's not really about personal success. It's like the more people I reach, the happier I become almost. There you go, Joe Wicks. That was a that was a good conversation with Joe, wasn't it, Damien? Here's a man with plenty of energy. Yeah, loads of energy, but also really, again, like Lando today, really authentic. Uh, turned up with no entourage, just came in, uh, mixed with us before and after it. He was phenomenal bloke. Yeah, a really nice guy. Um, and you can hear that episode of the High Performance Podcast next time out. Damien, thank you so much, buddy. Thanks, Jake. Loved it as always. Me too. Uh, thanks to Damien. Thanks to our listener guest, Gareth, as well, for sharing his story with us. Of course, thank you as well to Landon Norris and the whole team at McLaren for helping us to make today happen. Best of luck to them for the rest of the season. Um, thanks as well to the whole High Performance team, Finn Ryan from Rethink Audio, to Gemma, to Eve, to Hannah, to Will, everyone else involved in the High Performance Podcast. Remember, if you want more from us, then just go to thehighperformancepodcast.com and you can join our club, our members club, the High Performance Circle. And there you will get access to ever more stuff, including weekly emails straight to your inbox, packed with help and motivation. Just go to thehighperformancepodcast.com. Remember, there is no secret. It is all there for you. So be your own biggest cheerleader and make world-class basics your calling card. We'll see you next time.
Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. This Mother's Day, treat mom to healthy, glowing skin with Osea's limited edition skincare sets. Osea has been making clean, seaweed-infused products for nearly 30 years. Their advanced eye care duo brightens and firms skin around your eyes, while the Golden Glow Body Trio nourishes and smooths skin all over. Go to oseamalibu.com and use code MOM for 10% off your first order site-wide.